1: Welcome to Money MD, where the money doctors are in the house and giving out prescriptions for better financial health and making smart decisions with your money. We give common sense solutions to your complex problems. I'm Steve Marbert, a certified financial planner and an investment advisor with over 20 years' experience in providing financial planning and investment advice.
2: And I'm John Travis. I have an MBA in finance, also a Dave Ramsey local provider, and have been helping corporations and individuals with planning for over 20 years.
1: We're excited to have you listen to us today on our weekly radio show. We
2: are right here every Saturday like today from 9 to 10 a.m. Yeah, you can also go to our website, moneymd.net. We have a link in the top right-hand corner that you can uh, stream us wherever you're hanging out this wonderful Saturday morning. Now, obviously, go on the dial at 1230 a.m., and uh, you can also catch our podcast. If you miss a show, we have a link on the MoneyMD uh, site that you can click on the podcast, and you can go back and see some of the, the past shows. And we have it you know, pretty well organized topic-wise, so, um, you know. No reason not to listen to The Money Doctors.
1: Yeah, no excuse for not listening to The Money Doctors this morning, or any morning for that matter, since we have our podcast. But do go on our website, MoneyMD.net, because we'd like to hear your questions. You can link to us there and email us your questions, or you can email us directly at info at MoneyMD.net. Well, John, I tell you, we have an interesting show this morning. Before we get into that, I mean... You know, politics are really heating up and, and winding center. down here quickly. Aren't yeah, they?
2: that's right. It uh, D- depends on your perspective. There, uh, I think it's pretty much done.
1: Yeah, it's going to be hard to stop the yeah. Trump train. Yeah, you Trump know? and
2: Hillary. I think uh, they're both look like the front runners. It can be very difficult for the other candidates unless they somehow rally together. Um, I just don't see it happening.
1: I, I think it's over for the Republican establishment, so to speak. I mean, you know, the four guys are left here. I mean, the Trump, the Trump plane is flying high the republican plane is going down and the four guys left are having a knife fight over the last parachute
2: yeah i think they just cut it
1: (laughs) i think they're cutting it they're getting ready they're starting to cut it up and they're getting ready to cut it up for good here in in a couple weeks it's gonna be totally useless i like that they're all gonna go down i'm afraid Uh, but anyway it's it's interesting i mean only gets more entertaining from here doesn't it i mean with with trump versus hillary uh it's going to be an entertaining summer.
2: It is. You know, Trump's an interesting guy.
1: He really is. Fortunately, God can use anybody. Mm-hmm. So I have still a lot of hope for America and, you know, what's going on, even though Trump is not my guy. Um, you know, I have a couple of little kind of uh, uh, th- descriptions of Trump that okay. I put together here. All right, let me you, Just to give you an example here. So this is what I – Trump's kind of a straight-talking worthlessness, trojan horse conservative who will be artfully dogmatic in a good deal-making president
2: ah nice those that's are good descriptive words
1: yeah yeah or and here's another one for you plain talking egomaniac silly putty conservative who will be a productive bully pulpit president
2: productive bully pulpit yeah I, you know it'll be interesting you know a lot of people saying you know who's going to keep him uh, under control it's congress you know right there's true you know, you got uh, but those are, good. those are good adjectives. Man, you've, you've been busy this morning. Yeah, I've
1: been thinking about, <laughs> about this. You know, I mean, it's going to be interesting, though, to see him against Hillary. Because, I mean, Hillary has more baggage than Cleopatra. And he's going to open it all up like a five-year-old on Christmas morning.
2: <laughs> it, it is going to be entertaining. Well, we, we have a uh, new comedian here on the, on the show.
1: No, I've just, you know, <laughs> they just write themselves. Oh, I that's mean, funny. You know, yeah, this yeah. thing is just so good. I mean, he's going to say everything about Hillary. I've been thinking for 20 years live on national TV. Yeah, unedited. Unedited. <laughs> meditated I mean, so it's going to be an entertaining uh, summer it really is i'm kind of looking yeah, forward to it i
2: don't know i'm ready for it to be over quite frankly yeah i
1: know politics <laughs> does get old but i mean it, it will be entertaining you There's can't no doubt. ask for a more entertaining <laughs> oh, election know. than this one's going to be but wow again i, I fall back on the fact god god can use anybody. that's right he's in control and uh you know maybe he really will make america great again yeah We'll see. But, you know, speaking of Trump and Hillary, I mean, our first topic here is Trump versus Hillary's tax plan, because it is tax season. And, you know, it does boil down to your money in a lot of ways. Yes, it
2: does. They want to spend it.
1: They do. And so we want to look at the tax plans here, dig into these. We're going to be the very first. I don't think anybody else is really comparing these two tax Mm -hmm. plans. And uh, let's see which one is going to make a difference on your money and what they're going to mean to your money.
2: Yeah, that's a good one. So stick around for that. And we're going to follow that up with an article about retirement. Uh, we are Money Doctors, and we like uh, talking about retirement. And we're going to look back a little bit historically and, and see how retirement used to be versus the way it is now. And it's really changed. A couple of uh, dramatic things have uh, you know have dropped out of people's retirement. So you have to take more control. We're going to give you some hints on that. And then we're going to follow up with um, you know U.S. incomes are finally growing.
1: Yeah, the special sauce for economic growth is finally here. You yeah, know? that's a good I mean, thing. That's a real good thing. We've been waiting a long time to see incomes of median household income start to rise and they're they really they finally hit the pre recession levels um, the big increase last quarter, so we're going to yeah, go over that. Good and news. Good news. Good news on the economy. So anyway, but we're going to start off with the financial fact of the week.
2: Yeah, this comes from uh, Hello Wallet, which is a, a Morningstar company. And Steve, there's a, uh, an account out there. I know you're familiar with it. We talk about it here on the radio. It's called an HSA, health savings account, and it's attached to a high deductible plan. And the high deductible plan has become much more popular in, in recent years. But they they have some stats, which is pretty interesting, just 4% of HSA holders um, actually invested their HSA assets – most of them either spent them or they just kept the money in cash. Now, that's a shame. you know, I have an HSA account, and I'm using that. And what we recommend, depends on your situation, is trying to use that for retirement, right? It's the Absolutely. only account that you can deduct from income uh, on the front end. And then when you use it on medical and retirement, there's no taxes on the gains.
1: It's the best of both worlds. <clears throat> it,
2: it is. It's a Roth IRA that's also tax deductible. Yeah, it is. There is no other account like it. So no. only 4% of people are, are actually... Uh, Investing it, so you know if you're listening out there and you have an HSA, think about using this for retirement. It's it's a unique account.
1: It really is, and you can put up to 6,400, I believe, dollars a, a year in for a family if you have a health savings account qualified policy, insurance policy. So it's a great tool, but you want to make sure you use it properly if you have one. Okay, good fact of the week, and that leads us up here to our first topic, and that is Trump versus Hillary's tax plans. Yeah, I mean, it's certainly starting to look like Donald Trump versus Hillary Clinton in the general election, as this primary season is quickly coming to a head, and it's winding down, as we just talked about. And, you know, since we're in the middle of tax season, really the pink elephant in the room now is, will Trump a Trump or a Hillary president affect your taxes, and how will it affect your taxes? So we've taken a dive into these plans via the Nonpartisan Tax Foundation website, To take a look at where they land on these issues of your money. And the results here are really interesting because there couldn't be a more stark contrast Mm. between Trump's and Hillary's plans. Um, one is focused on raising taxes to pay for new programs. The other is all about lowering taxes. <laughs> and so, you can probably yeah, guess
2: which is which. Yeah,
1: there you go. I mean, it's pretty obvious. Mm-hmm. But you know, as we consider these plans, we also have to ask how realistic these plans are to actually get implemented. So we'll dig into that. But first of all, let's discuss. <clears throat> um, so we'll sc- dig into all these questions. But first, we're going to start off with just a quick summary of kind of what these plans look like.
2: Yeah, so for the for the Trump plan, um, his tax plan would substantially lower individual income taxes as well as the corporate income tax, and it would eliminate some of the complex features of the current tax code. So, you know, he's going to be lower in taxes, uh, individual and corporate. According to the Tax Foundation taxes and growth model, the plan would significantly reduce um, the marginal tax rates, uh, and that would lead to an 11 percent higher GDP over the long term, provided that the cuts could be financed. So it would help stimulate the economy. Is what it's basically saying. Definitely. Um, the plan would also lead to a 29 percent larger capital stock, six and a half percent higher wages, and uh, five about five million dollar more. Excuse me, five million more full time equivalent jobs over 10 years. And that that's all really, really positive. I mean, it's growing the economy.
1: Yeah, that's great stuff. A lot of stimulus there. I mean, overall, the plan would cut taxes, lead to higher after-tax incomes for all taxpayers at all levels of income. Trump's plan would cut taxes by $12 trillion over the next decade. However, the plan would end up reducing revenues by about $10 trillion over the next decade, Accounting for the economic growth in the economy as well. So that means the result would be like a trillion per year of additional deficit, unless there's some huge spending cuts somewhere to, uh, to yeah. offset that.
2: That's <laughs> a, a rut row.
1: Yeah, so it, it, it's certainly uh, it's a little bit unrealistic there. It's a lot unrealistic. Mm-hmm. But, you know, that tends to be Trump's. Tr- Kind of starting point on everything. Um, he sends teams to start with the unrealistic, extreme position, and then leave plenty of room to negotiate and make yes. the art of the deal, as yes. he puts it. You're right. So you know maybe that's just his strategy to start with something he knows is unrealistic, and then yep. work back from Pull there. Back. Right. Um, we'll see. The key findings on Clinton's plan is this: <clears throat> um, she would enact a number of tax policies that would raise taxes on individuals and business income. Um, her plan would raise tax revenue by around a half a trillion dollars over the next decade. However, the plan would end up only collecting about $190 billion over the next decade when you account for a decrease in economic output in the long run. So her plan is not stimulative. It actually is depressive on the economy. Um, the majority of the revenues raised by her plan would come from a cap on itemized deductions, the so-called Buffett Rule, which which sets a minimum income tax rate for people over a $1 million and a 4% surtax on taxpayers with income over $5 million. Um, Her proposals to alter the long-term capital gains rate would actually reduce revenue due to increased incentives to delay realizing capital gains, so it's hard for anybody to like that part of the idea um, since it's actually going to cost money in the long run. But we'll continue this discussion when we come back from the break. If you have questions, you can email us at info infomoneymd.net at or you can give us a call at Richard Young Associates, 706 739 0725. You're listening to Money MD. We'll be right back after these messages. Stay with us. Welcome back to Money MD, where the money doctors are in the house. I'm Steve Marbert, a certified financial planner, and I'm here with John Travis, who is a Dave Ramsey local provider. And we are continuing our discussion here before the break about Hillary versus Trump's tax plans. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, we are the very first people that I know of to analyze their two plans side by side here, because, I mean, they certainly do look like the presumptive Mm -hmm. nominees for Republican, Democratic, uh, Democrats, and, you know, it's obvious they're going to, both of their platforms have huge tax changes.
2: Yeah, quite different, obviously. They're
1: very different. Um, You know, Trump's plan would, is all about lowering taxes, Uh, to stimulate the economy and and to put more money in people's pocket. And Hillary's plan really is about raising taxes, particularly on the wealthy, um, to pay for new plans, to pay for new programs. Mm -hmm. So, uh, So we're just going through some of the details here. And we just talked about how Trump's plan would substantially lower income tax rates and corporate tax rates really across the board. We haven't talked about the details of that. But then it would also lead to about a uh a twenty nine percent larger investment over ten years um and then also three and a half three point or over five million dollar sorry five, 5 million, million more jobs. new jobs yeah
2: that's positive
1: so that's really positive there's some real positive things in there. The downside is it's going to result in like a trillion dollars per year less income revenue, yeah, so <laughs> it's a little bit unrealistic on that part of the side of it side of it, so we would definitely. He'd have to figure out a way to pay for it.
2: Yeah, I mean, cut spending. Yeah. Somewhere.
1: Right. They'd have to cut a lot of spending to pay for that. So I, th- I think this is a kind of a starting position for him. He tends to do that, mm-hmm. and, from what I hear, and uh, takes a stream extreme position, then negotiates back from there. So maybe that's his starting position. Hillary, though, it's like night and day. Her plan is going to raise taxes, particularly on the wealthy. Um, it's going to generate about another half trillion dollars in income. However, when you take the fact that it's going to slow down the economy, it only takes in like 190 billion dollars of additional revenue. Um, so, but it's going to raise taxes substantially on people making over a million dollars, particularly on people making over five million dollars. Mm-hmm. So, our plan is all about raising taxes on the wealthy.
2: Yeah, that's right. And, and uh, according to the uh, Tax Foundation, um, it would reduce GDP by one percent over the long term due to the slightly ha- higher marginal tax rates. And um, the tax plan would also lead to about about a percent lower after-tax income for the top ten percent of taxpayers. And um, you know, when when a, a accounting for the reduced GDP after-tax incomes on all taxpayers. Would fall by about a percent. So yeah, I mean, I, I look at that, and you know, I think they, tr- you know, they try to help the lower income. I think you're hurting the lower income. You exactly. don't have as many jobs. You're 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 not going to have uh, increase in in wages because of this. So there's a happy medium in here somewhere.
1: Clearly, that's what the tax foundation shows here <clears throat> is that it's going to hurt the economy. It's going to hurt jobs, and it's going to hurt lower income people because of that. It ends up hurting everybody, even though it only taxes the wealthy. Um, yeah, Trump's plan would reduce individual tax rates, lower the top rate from 39.6% down to 25%, and it would create a very large zero tax bracket. Um, the plan also would reform the business tax code to reduce income taxes on all businesses to 15% and eliminate the business tax expenditures, um, so eliminate some of their deductions. In addition, their plan, his plan would eliminate the estate tax and the alternative minimum tax. Hillary's plan, by contrast, is designed to pay for a lot of new government programs like the family leave, paid family leave, and the affordable college tuition grants. As such, she's proposed raising and enacting a number of new taxes. Her plan would increase the marginal rates for taxpayers with incomes over five million, enacting a thirty percent minimum tax, which is the Buffett rule on incomes above a million, and then also alter the long term capital gains rate. Schedule and limit itemized deductions to a tax value of about 28%. Um, so, you know, her plan is going to restore, also, it's going to restore the estate tax back to the 2009 level of mm-hmm. $3.5 million. Yeah. Um, so, you know, she does a lot of tax raising on individuals uh, to make it in the higher income levels.
2: Yeah, yeah. So when you look at Trump's, just kind of to summarize it, he takes the seven brackets that we have today, puts it into four, and the highest tax rate is 25%. So that's, that's kind of a, trying to simplify it. Uh, taxes on long-term capital gains and qualified dividends, the top rate would be 20%, but some people would pay zero. Like like it is today. I mean, folks in a zero and a ten percent tax bracket would pay pay yeah. nothing. It does create a larger zero percent bracket for lower income people. Uh, eliminates, as you mentioned, the alternative minimum tax, and it also eliminates the Obamacare net investment income tax of three point eight percent on certain investment income. So, you know, uh, again, I, I, I think you what you hit the nail on the head with. Um, he's putting something out there that probably wouldn't pass, but he's starting to negotiate.
1: That's right. That's right. Hillary, on the other hand, her her plan, it creates an additional marginal bracket of 43.6% for taxable incomes over $5 million, 24% top rate on, on long-term capital gains, uh, establishes that 30% minimum tax on people with incomes over a $1 million. It caps all the itemized deductions to a tax value of 28%. So for higher income folks, it's going to limit itemized deductions even more than they already are limited um, limits the total value of tax deferred and tax free savings accounts so that's a new one we've never Mm -hmm. heard that before she's going to put a cap back in place on tax uh, on retirement accounts Mm -hmm. saying maybe you can't have over a million dollars in a retirement account yeah um that we haven't heard that and then she's gonna uh taxes on carried interest which is the um the hedge fund. Right. Loophole. Right. She's gonna eliminate that, which everybody agrees with that. And then she also enacts another twelve hundred dollar tax credit for caregiver expenses, which is something kind of new. Um, she restores the estate tax back to three and a half million. So in essence she's raising estate taxes for, for people that are in that, you know, that level that have estates. And then she enacts a tax on high frequency trading. That's her so-called tax on Wall Street. Mm-hmm. So who knows exactly what that's going to be? And then she also will adjust the schedule for long-term capital gains by raising any gains that are held less than six years. I believe it is. Wow, it can be all the way up to forty-seven percent for wow six years for capital gains. Right now it's a year. Right now it's a year. So <laughs> you know that that's a that, that's the one that actually ends up costing money mm-hmm. because it encourages people to hold things longer and not not realize gains.
2: Right. And um going back to Trump, he had some business tax changes as well. He would cut the corporate income tax rate from thirty five percent down to fifteen. Um he would also end the deferral of income from controlled foreign subsidiaries. And if that was enacted there would be a transitional period where um there'd be a one time repatriation tax of ten percent. So he's trying to impact people keeping cash overseas. Um Taxes pass through uh, the businesses at a rate of 15%. Um, so he's trying to make it – he's try, He's lowering taxes significantly. Exactly.
1: Yep. Okay, so the conclusion here, though, is Donald Trump's plan would lower marginal taxes and significantly create incentives to work and invest that would greatly increase the U.S. economy's size in the long run. The result would lead to higher incomes for all taxpayers at all levels. Um, The plan would also be a large tax cut. However, it would increase the federal government's deficit by a whopping $10 trillion over the next decade, even after accounting for increased growth. That plan would obviously have a difficult time passing in that form um, due to the enormous cost, unless he found some huge tax spending cuts to pay for it. Hillary's plan, on the other hand, would enact tax increases, to raise revenue over the next decade in order to fund her new extended programs um, like the family leave plan and the uh, college tuition grant plan. Most of her policies would raise tax revenue as designed except for her capital gains policy, which actually ends up losing revenue due to the incentives it creates to hold assets longer if um enacted her tax policies would impose higher marginal rates on the top brackets which would result in a reduction in the size of the US economy in the long run hurting everybody the plan would result in lower after-tax incomes for taxpayers at all income levels but especially for income
2: payers, top mm-hmm. top bracket right, taxpayers right. Yeah, um, so interesting stuff. It is. I mean, changes are coming.
1: Yeah, I mean, they, they, the two plans couldn't be more different. Yeah, right. I mean, there are two totally different ends of the scale. It's like so. Clemson, Carolina.
2: Democrat, Republican, you know.
1: Republican, exactly. Clemson, (laughs) Republican. You got it. There you go. All right. Well, that leads up here to the question of the week.
2: Yeah, this question has to do with long-term care insurance, and and the question simply is, how much should I purchase? And it really depends on the individual situation, Steve. Sometimes folks have pensions and... Uh, You know, they have saved well and and they could make a case that they're self-insured. You know, for the most, you know, averages say uh, the average stay is between two and three years. So that's usually a reasonable time frame. Um, You know, the more things that you put into the policies, the more expensive it gets. So uh, inflation protection is one of them. Um, You know, we usually recommend three to five percent coverage uh, over time, but it really is sp- specifically depending on your situation, your your family history, and um, there's not a bad answer, if you will, but, you know, two to three years is a reasonable coverage time frame to, to look at.
1: Yeah, maybe $150 a day in coverage. Yeah. Yeah, yeah it's a good rate. Okay, well, this brings us to uh, uh, our break. But if you have questions, you can email us at info at moneymd.net or give us a call, 706-739-0725. You're listening to Money MD. We'll be right back at the Business New News. We'll Welcome back to Money M.D., where the money doctors are in the house. I'm Steve Marbert, a certified financial planner. I'm here with John Travis, who is a Dave Ramsey local provider. And we're going to lead off our next segment here with a new topic, and that is retirement. Retirement now versus retirement then.
2: Yeah, retire- retirement has changed. It has changed. It really has. The landscape's changed. Uh, a lot of different factors. I mean, decades ago, retirement was was fairly predictable. You had Social Security, you had pension, which provided much of your income. So you had moved to the Sun Belt or you know somewhere in Florida, play tennis and golf, and you know you lived to uh, age seventy or seventy-five. I mean, you what, know, what a life. Yeah, you yeah, know, just golf every day. Yeah, tennis. You know, uh, plenty of income coming in from those two sources, but to varying degrees. This was the American retirement experience during the last few decades of the previous century. I mean, those days, you know, they're gone pretty much. Um, retirees now must you know, assume a much greater deal of uh, financial self-reliance. Now, we do have quite a few clients that do have pensions from local companies but uh it's it's a dying benefit you know those things are running out so um you know there is no private pension safety net today i mean at one time social security was paired with pension for a lifelong uh employer a retiree could potentially enjoy a middle class lifestyle but you know in january the average social security benefit was about 1300 dollars it doesn't go very far. That's pretty small. And the highest possible benefit for someone retiring at, you know, full retirement age in 2016 is about $2,800. So that's a little bit better, that's but still, bad. you know, if you don't have a pension, um, that's going to be tough to live on. So in, in many areas of the country, living only on Social Security does not afford you the same lifestyle that you had when you were working. So, you know, elders who thought through thought that they could only rely on Social Security get to get by... They've learned a better truth. I mean, one that we should note, that you got to have some different sources of income. It can't just be Social Security like it used to be.
1: That's right. There are a lot of differences here. I mean, one of them you just mentioned is Social Security is not as much for retirees in the future as it is for today's retirees, Mm -hmm. right? Because um, retirees in the future have a higher retirement, a later retirement date, 67 for you and me, Mm -hmm. whereas people retiring today it's 66. So, you know, if you draw at 62, you're only getting 70% versus 80% for for people that retired maybe five years ago. Um, but another factor is we carry more debt than our parents and grandparents did. You know, it's much easier to borrow money um, than it was a decade ago. Some people face the prospect of retiring with outstanding student loans, car loans, business loans, in addition to home loans. And some of us are retiring unmarried, too. That's what we find out here. We see that with clients now. I mean, divorce rates being where they are. I mean, some baby boomers will retire alone. Perhaps they'll share residence with a sibling, a child, or or friends. And that may give them some economic cushion in terms of meeting the daily living expenses. But then again, some married households or single-income households in the '70s and '80s, but retirees managed back then. Today, it's a different story. It's a lot harder to make mm-hmm. it, you know, as a single person.
2: Yeah, and you mentioned um, retiring with with home loans. I think fifty percent of retirees have have home loans, have mortgages going into retirement. And that, wow. when you start looking at the sources of income for for many people, that is that's tough. You know, that's you can't live. Uh, you know your lifestyle that you want to when you have the the mortgage out there. So we strongly encourage people as they go into retirement to try to pay off their mortgage. Another factor, Steve, is that uh, we'll probably live longer than our parents did. Back in 1985, the average life expectancy for a 65 year old man was 79 years old, and wow. the average life expectancy for a 65 year old woman was 84. Today, you think about you know 25, 30 years later, I guess 30 years later. The uh, average for a 65-year-old man is 91, and a 65-year-old woman is 94.
1: And that's only 30 years later that the average age
2: has increased that much. That's remarkable. 12 years and 10 years, respectively, for men and women. So, you know, our parents could depend on the combination of Social Security pension uh, income and and some fixed income vehicles for a 10- to 15-year retirement. In contrast, many of us will have to, to try to find growth investing to try to keep our money growing Going, you know twenty or thirty years, I have a grandmother who 's a hundred now, so
1: yeah it 's not unheard of I mean you think of, of uh, <laughs> President Carter you know mm-hmm. he had he had a cancer that would kill most people just ten years ago, right, and today they have you know the special treatment remarkable treatment that targets your particular genes and your particular uh, genealogy and and could treat it and and prolong it even cure it and um, so it just goes to show I mean I think these numbers will get even longer going forward that's a big difference you got to plan on 30 or 40 you got to plan on maybe 40 years in retirement that's
2: right and you know it, this this article is from from marketing pro and they had a good point in here that that many retirees today have to have some growth investing, right? That just means the stock market, basically. It doesn't mean you're 100% in right. the market, but, you know, when you start looking at a, you know, a 65-year-old, we plan to age 95. That's what we're targeting. That's 30 years that your money needs to last and also fight inflation as well. So, you know, another thing you have to think about is we will likely have to insure ourselves if we retire before 65. I mean, the national average retirement age is now 63, and with private health insurance becoming the new normal Normal. That means many of us will have to find some kind of private health coverage if we retire too young to be eligible for Medicare. So uh, that's you know another factor you have to think about. Furthermore, the the cost of many of the out of pocket medical expenses not covered by Medicare is certainly greater than it once was. I mean, I don't know about you, but every time I get a um, uh, a medical bill or the renewal policy, it goes up ten to fifteen percent every yep. single year. Yeah. So. Um, you know, it used to be five or six percent. Now it's 10, 10 plus percent. So you got to count on that in retirement. Medical is a lot more expensive. That's exactly right.
1: Yeah. I mean, plus, I mean, we have to raise to the financial challenge that retirement presents. You know, during the 80s, uh, m- more than 40 percent of private sector employees participated in a pension plan designed to bring them the eventual retirement income they needed, and that along with Social Security. You know, was wasn't enough, because in the middle of that decade, Social Security accounted for 65% of U.S. retirees' income. Right now, 19% of private uh, pension plans, um, it's only 19% of private firms offer pension plans, and Social Security only represents 27% of a retiree's income. So you have to make up that difference, and with longer life expectancies, I think you have to be willing to not amortize your 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 investment balance mm-hmm. over your life expectancy because you don't know how long you're going to live, right? And you can't amortize it out where it's going to be zero. Um, you basically need to be able to take out four, maybe five percent, but for most people, probably four percent is probably a better number. Mm-hmm. To be honest. To make it last your entire lifetime.
2: Yeah, yeah, that's right. And you start talking about inflation adjustments as well. That that uh, that's tough. That's tough to do. It and, is. And so you know, it's it, Steve. It's 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 a given. Our retirement, you know, people retiring today is different from that of our parents. It will likely be longer um, and it will probably feature a better quality of life. And we talked about the medical aspect. Uh, Every aspect of our later years may become more comfortable, more bearable for ourselves and our loved ones, but you got to do that retirement planning. It's one of the most valuable tools to assist you in realizing that goal so if you have questions on retirement planning i mean we spend a lot of time with our our clients um on on that exercise going through and getting a vision getting the goals and making sure that you're on track that you will have income for the rest of your life that's the goal to age 95 um so it's a it's a complicated exercise um, there's some tools out there that you can go online i mentioned the um about to mention uh, chris hogan 's tool here um, but you know there's there's some some things that you have to think through medical wise kid wise um, that uh, you know retirement plan incorporates
1: yeah definitely I mean you you, you got to get on top of this because you know stock market isn't what it used to be either you know quite frankly mm-hmm. I mean the returns of the 80s and 90s doesn't appear to be materializing here in the 2000s and two thousand and tens. And so you, you got to be willing to to invest I think a little more aggressively put a lot more money in plan on maybe a 4% withdrawal rate and then you know let it go um don't 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 plan on having a big pension or something you you got to cover it all yourself
2: yeah that's right do and some planning it,
1: it takes a lot of planning all right, we'll go ahead and do the prescription of the week here.
2: Yeah, this is uh, has to do with a uh, Dave Ramsey um, a website. It's called uh, ChrisHogan360 com. It's basically are you on track for retirement? You know, it it'll help you find out your number. Um, it, you know, as I mentioned a couple minutes ago, you you can basically put in some income and some some data, and it'll show you a number that you need to target to try to hit for retirement that would then provide you income going forward. So, again. It's very simple. Uh, there's some other things that probably need to be incorporated, but it's a good it's a good way to look and see if you're on track um, for retirement. And if you have further questions, you can certainly reach out to us and we'll help you.
1: So you got to know your number. So go to chrishogan360 dot com to find out what your number is that you need That's to right. save to for retirement to create that income that we just talked about to go along with whatever little pension you have and, and to go along with Social Security and the other sources that you have you got to know your number chris 360 chrishogan360.com there you go all right and that leads up to our break here but if you have questions you can email us at info at or you can give us a call at richard young associates at 706-739-0725 you're listening to money md we'll be right back after these messages Stay with us. Welcome back to Money M.D., where the money doctors are in the house. I'm Steve Marbert, a certified financial planner, and I'm here with John Travis, who is a Dave Ramsey local provider. And we are going to start off our last segment here talking about um, kind of the special sauce of economic growth. John, I mean, it is finally here. U.S. incomes are finally growing.
2: Yeah, it's been a missing piece for a decade.
1: It's been a remarkable missing piece. You know they had in this article uh, out of uh Yahoo Finance, they have a graph in here and I was just looking at it and it's remarkable when you look at it, over the last 15 years the median household income has not even though it's gone up here recently and that's what we're going to talk about it hasn't risen at all over the last fifteen years. It's basically back to starting point fifteen years ago.
2: Yeah, the last five years have been very positive, but uh, you're right. It's come. It's a dip, and it's come back up to where it was fifteen years ago.
1: There was a huge dip, and that's part of the complaints that we've had against this, you know, current administration is incomes haven't risen. Mm-hmm. You know, and these income, incomes are, are especially skewed when you start looking at different income segments and levels. Um, but incomes were down as much as, heck, I don't know. I mean, 10% here looks like, according to this graph, at their low point back in 2011. And now they've finally gone up, and uh, median household income adjusted for inflation now is is higher than it was before the recession began at the end of 2007, according to this new data um, published by Centennial Research. And the typical family earned $57,000 in December, 57153 which is 4.3% higher than it was a year earlier. That's a huge increase. So we've had a great increase here last year in median household income. That's nearly 1% higher than December 2007. So that tells you how long it's been since the, these increases have, you know, since we had a higher level. And month-to-month gains during the last several months have been the most rapid in the history of the survey. So we had some dramatic gains here each month, and that dates back all the way to 2000. So if the pace of growth continues in 2016, household incomes will hit a new record high. Well in advance of the November elections, so that that may be something to watch here mm-hmm. coming into November.
2: Yeah, and despite widespread worries of another recession, data on jobs and income it shows that ordinary workers are increasingly better off. So, um, you know, Warren Buffett uh, wrote in his annual uh, letter that the America's economic magic remains alive and well, and the numbers back him up. I mean, uh, every month um, Centier calculates a household index based on Census Bureau data that allows it to measure the purchasing power of the typical family month to month by uh, after adjusting for inflation. So, you know, while this is positive that we're back up, if you think if it would have grown by 1% or 2% per year over the last 15 years, exactly. it would have been significantly higher than where it is today.
1: It would have been huge, <clears throat> and, you know, that's the, that's the pain of this is we're just now back to where we were in 2007. Um, that's a long time. You know, that's that's what? That's nine years ago. So the politicians
2: basically. are going to say, hey, we've got record high incomes. Well. We do. Yeah. But, but wow. it's been 15 years since it's reached that level. Since or I it's guess-
1: really gone up. It's really 15 years, but it's nine, year, uh, nine years since the last time. It's finally reached the level it was at nine years ago, which was no higher than it was 15 years ago. Mm-hmm. So incomes have stagnated for the middle class and in particularly the lower class. And and that's part of, I think, what we're seeing in, in politics, you know, is this angry mm-hmm. middle, lower class oh, yeah. that have had their income stagnate now for for 15 years. I mean, that's very, very frustrating. And in gee, fortunately, we've had a nice recovery here over the past couple of years, and it's come back up. When you look at this graph, though, there's this huge dip from 2008 down 10% at 2011, and then it goes all the way back up and, and the sharp gains here this past mm-hmm. year. So uh, the good news is out of this as I re- this graph is I really think the the, high, the lower unemployment is starting to put some real pressure on wages.
2: Yes, I agree.
1: And th- we know as kind of economists, we study economics a lot, that that is a key to profitability and the stock market Mm -hmm. and everything else in the economy growing is having wages go up. And so that's really, really encouraging. Yeah, the numbers, I mean, they showcase that the vital economic trend that helps explain the frustration that millions of Americans, even the surprise rise of, of Donald Trump, You know, what's behind it, and that is total economic output, GDP surpassed a pre-recession high all the way back to 2011, but median incomes remain depressed until just recently here, and that means the economy has recovered, but it's failed to bring a lot of workers in with it.
2: Yeah, that's the, I think you're right, the anger. I think it's a combination of the incomes and then people just tired of... Politicians being politicians. And, um, you know, economists expect 2016 to be the best year for income growth in a long time. I mean, at 4.9%, the unemployment rate is the lowest since 2007. And as we just mentioned, as labor becomes more scarce, incomes will, will rise. I mean, employers have to pay more to keep and find workers that they need and they already have in place. And if the pace of growth from December is repeated when the January data becomes available, incomes will finally exceed the level from 2000. So let's keep our fingers crossed.
1: 16 years later, yeah. Yeah, that doesn't mean it all is well. I mean, one of the pernicious trends of modern digital era is that more income is going to fewer people. So, Aggregate income can be going up, making the economy seem healthy, while the portion accruing at the lower earners goes down, making people feel less off, worse off. Mm -hmm. But, I mean, we're talking about median income here that rose, and it's finally – so, you know, the median income is a good barometer – I like that, but it can still mean that the lower income levels are hurting, and I, I think they are, quite frankly, and that's yeah. part of the, yeah. the anger we're seeing out there.
2: Yeah, I mean, this is especially true at a time when employers, they value technical skills that are difficult to obtain. So while the value of manual labor and even routine white-collar skill declines, um, this is becoming an issue. I mean, when innovation and the market system interact to produce efficiencies – Many workers may be rendered unnecessary because their talents become obsolete. And, and Buffett again wrote in his annual letter some can find decent employment elsewhere for others. Uh, it's not an option. So, you know, going back and getting training, there are degrees out there that you can get in a year or 18 months. It's key. You have to, yeah, you have to continue getting those skills to be relevant.
1: Yeah, my older brother did that, you know, lost his job during a recession, went back and got a, a degree and, um, uh, I guess it was in in sociology. And, and so, you know, that helps. And, and so that's what you have to do, I think, is go back and retool. And I think American workers are really going to have to do that because of, of all the technology and the innovations, the robotics out there. Yeah. that have made some jobs just absolutely obsolete. <clears throat> Um, so you got to you got to have some new skills. You can never stop learning and stop up upgrading your skills. Yeah, you know, the portion of Americans feeling unnecessarily or unnecessary obsolete is a potent force binding or bending the nation's political establishment into new shapes. I mean, Donald Trump, Bernie Sanders, they're both appealed to angry voters, voters that are feeling disenfranchised by a changing economy that seems to have no place for them. The populist rhetoric decrying crony capitalism and rigged systems hit home with voters who don't recognize the upward turn in the income chart that we just talked about. Yeah. Um, So it's really hitting home with them. I mean, finding solutions, however, is a lot trickier than... Complaining about the problem. All of the candidates think they have the answer. Lower taxes, higher taxes, new types of stimulus, tougher rules on China. President Obama feels like he's had a lot of solutions, too. And hardly any of them them have gotten through Congress, is the way he feels. But with incomes finally recovering on their own, perhaps the next president should just be a little cautious about fixing something that appears to be fixing itself hmm. and does fix itself over time.
2: I think one of the issues that uh, you, you kind of mentioned about the lower income, I mean, if you look at the minimum wage, you know, seven, eight bucks, I mean, that's uh, next to impossible to live on. And, it and is. you know, you think about capitalism and capitalism sets the market wage. Well, I mean, you know, it, it, that's a tough. That is a tough nut to crack, um, because going in there and saying it needs to be fifteen or or twelve is not market. It's not. Uh, it's not what the market's bearing. But for people living at that level, it's next to impossible.
3: Well,
1: and I think that's one of the reasons why. There's so much appeal to what Donald Trump is out there preaching too. is that, you know, when you look at lower and median income folks who are feeling pressured by their wages not going up, it's hard to tell those people that 11 million illegal immigrants Mm -hmm. aren't depressing their salaries, their Mm -hmm. their wages. Mm -hmm. I mean, you put, you know, everybody knows a little bit about supply and demand. And if you increase the supply by 11 million, you know, demand and stays the same, yeah. then the wage goes down. Right. And so everybody knows that. So that's part of the appeal that Donald Trump says, you know, he's going to, you know, shut that off. And, and it's frustrating. It's it's too bad for the Republicans. They haven't been able to solve that problem mm-hmm. over the past 15 years, 20 years, however long we've been talking about it.
2: Yeah, it needs to be addressed.
1: It needs to be addressed. It needs to be fixed once and for all. And that's that's one of the reasons why Donald Trump, I think, is doing so well. So... But it's great news that incomes are finally rising. Yes, I think that's apogative. going to flow down to the stock market, yeah. you know, in the near future, and uh, because it's going to help profits. So. Uh you like to see it. Okay, that leads us up to our close here for this week's edition of Money MD. Tune in next Saturday from 9 to 10 a.m. to hear more prescriptions for your financial health. Do check us on our website, moneymd.net. Email us your questions at infomoneymd.net at or give us a call, Richard Young Associates, 706 739 0725. Thanks for listening. Have a great weekend. Have a good one. Hey, hey.
3: Ladies and gentlemen,
0: We'll see you